Welcome to the Advisor Insight Podcast, where we provide informative, insightful content for financial advisors and planners to help you grow your business, your knowledge, and your client base. I'm your host, Andrew Sheena, and in today's episode, we're going to be discussing something that's probably going to be of interest to most people running their own advisory practices or hoping to in the future, or even just to have their own client base. I'm joined today by Chris Budd. Chris founded his own financial planning practice, Ovation Finance, in 2000, before he sold the majority to an employee ownership trust. He's now the owner of the Eternal Business Consultancy, where he provides coaching and business consultancy to owners and employees who would like to follow this route. He's, also, he's authored several books and is a qualified business coach, produces the Financial Wellbeing podcast, and is an experienced and regular public speaker. I hope I haven't missed anything out there, Chris. Blimey. Um, <laughs> I'm sure I could think of one or two things, but let's keep it clean. Eh? <laughs> well, thank you very much for joining me today. I appreciate no, it. Thank you for having me. No, very welcome. And as I sort of briefly alluded to, I think the topic of selling your business is very front of mind to a lot of advisors, especially we know a lot of advisors are of our age group where they'll be looking to exit in the coming years. And it's also an exit plan for many people who even set up their business. That's why I think it's going to be particularly of interest to, to hear from you about how you did it, what the pitfalls are, what the things to aim for are. And I think from, from one of our previous discussions, how best to set up your practice to have it in a, a good position to be sold. So perhaps the best place to start would be for you perhaps to tell us a little bit about how you built up to and sold your practice what you were trying to do and, and what you managed to do okay will do um there is probably one other actually uh demographic of people that would be interested in this which is people who are working for a business where they're thinking what on earth is the owner going to do next because if you've got an elderly owner and you're in that business you might have plans or aspirations to buy in um you might not want to buy in but your owner thinks you're going to uh, you might be scared they're going to sell it to consolidator and lose your job. There's all sorts of issues going on around succession. So I think it's an, uh, it's an issue that affects um, every business of a, of a certain size. Um, what I did, I, I had my own business, Ovation Finance, for 20 years. And when I was coming towards the sale point, I was dreading it frankly, which is silly, really, when you think that you've built up this thing that you care about with people that you love and that you've worked with for, in some cases, 20 years. Um, and then the time comes when you're going to move away and leave it, leave it to carry on. And I was absolutely dreading the process because we've all heard the stories of people who have sold to third parties and um, the clients get shoved into a rubbish service proposition and employees yeah. get sacked and, and clients all start to leave. And I didn't want that. Um, and that's not to say that all consolidators do that, but yeah. some have. I know that because we hear the stories and I didn't know which ones they were. So I didn't <laughs> know what might happen. So that was not an exit and not an end to my story, to my business story that I wanted. So um, I was trying to find some structure that would allow the business to continue beyond me. Yes. And I guess, of course, it's, it's not a case of selling your business and walking away and holding your hands up and saying, that's it, is it? You've built this up over many years. You've got a lot of clients who you have very close relationships with. You have employees that you've obviously worked very closely with. So all of these things come into play. 
They did for me. Um, they don't for everybody, to be fair. Sure. And yeah. and I'm not going to be critical of anybody who just says I want the biggest check and I'll and I'll walk away. That's that's up to them. That's that. But if if you are someone who cares about your clients and your and your employees and really do want the best for them, then there are other ways of doing it. You know. Um, so what I found was this thing called the Employee Ownership Trust. Um, at the time, which was 2018. It had only been around for a few years. Uh, 2014, it actually came in. Um, and uh, it was the perfect exit, as far as I could tell. And I was so excited about it. I've made a career out of advising other people on the same thing. So in a nutshell, let me explain how it works. So um, if you, there's three, very simplistically, there's three types of exit. There's trade sale. So let's say a consolidator, you sell your business. And by the way, if you want to make a note, we can talk about shares or asset um, sale later on, but you yeah. sell your business to uh, a third party, you leave, they pay you out over a few years, usually maybe what something up front and then a, another payment, another payment. So three payments, that's quite common. Um, yeah. And you have no control over the business. Once it's sold, you're literally selling your client bank away and they can do with it what they will. The second one is a management buyout where your employees, um, usually with with some funding and assistance, will uh, will buy you out over a period of time, um, often via what's called a VIMBO or Vendor Initiated Management Buyout, uh, where you set up a holding company and a select few people get to own that company, finance right. is raised and you're paid out. Um, and then the third way then is the EOT, whereby you set up your own version, your own little employee ownership trust, you sell your shares into the EOT and the EOT doesn't have any money to buy those shares, but it does now have the future profit of the business. And therefore, it uses that future of the profit of the business to buy you out over a period of time. And there are a few rules in place about this because it is an officially kind of government sponsored scheme. So it must be a controlling interest that you sell. Mm-hmm at least 51%, and you must uh, sell at an independent market valuation. So as long as, and there's a few other rules as well, um, but as long as those rules are adhered to, then the payments to you from the EOT are then free of capital gains tax. Interesting. So So it's tax efficient as well. There is, although I really, really don't want to lead on that because reasons we'll come into, we'll come on to, uh, that's that really should not be the main reason for doing it. It's a nice advantage, but it shouldn't be the main reason. Absolutely, and, that, and that's the case with many of the the tax planning routes, isn't it? As well, but ultimately, the the benefits come down to being paid out over a period of time. It being a very effective way of being able to sell out to the existing business, for want of a better word, and then you can. Um, you're in even, of... even your cats think it's a good idea. That's how good it is. <laughs> I'm going to have to leave that bit in now. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, so, so yeah, the advantage of it um, is that you can carry on being involved in the business. You get to see your business continue. Um, you know that the clients are going to be looked after because it's the same people still looking after them, your, your existing yeah. employees, etc. So the real comparison isn't with a trade sale. The real comparison is with a management buyout. Which yeah. of those is going to be preferable? And I think it's fair to say that management buyout works for many firms. The EOT is not necessarily the right thing for everybody. Um, so how would you know whether to go management buyout or EOT? Well, a couple of things. Firstly, what do your management want? 
do they have the money to put up? If they don't have the money to put up, are they willing to put their house up to raise the money? Um, there is an assumption from a lot of owners that they identify the key people in the business who are going to take over and think that they're going to want to buy the business. Not everyone wants to own a business. Not yes. everyone wants that responsibility. Um, but if they do, then it well, may well be the management buyer is, is indeed the right thing to do. But um, have you got the right management team that you would want to be running the business? Because remember, it's the future profit of the business. Either way, that's going to be paying you out. Even if you get an amount up front from financing, there's still going to be warranties in place to make sure that profit comes in. So one way or the other, it's the future profit of the business. So do you have the team that you would trust to run the business? Yeah. You need to have the confidence that that business is going to continue being profitable, continue Absolutely. to serve clients in the right way and keep those clients. Otherwise, you're going to be out of pocket because business will go to pot and, and your payouts or buyout won't, won't come through. Exactly. Exactly. So that's the same with both of those ways, but you want to be able to trust that you've got the right people in place. Now, yeah. the stuff that I do, therefore, what I spend my time advising companies on is getting ready for those sales, whether it's management by or EOT, but particularly EOT, um, because the EOT has an extra level of governance in it that the uh, management buyout doesn't. The management buyout, you've got a few people that think to themselves, right, I want to be the new boss. I want to take over the business and I want to run the business and get rid of that old fart so that we can have our have our say and do it our way. And that's cool. And that's cool. With the EOT, you don't think like that. With the EOT, it's very important that you engender the employee voice, that you help right. employees to have a genuine say in the running of the business because it's their business. Yeah. It's not They don't own shares. It's the EOT that owns shares. But the EOT is a um, is a trust structure with trustees, and the employees are able to, should at least be able to have their say through the trust to the board. So, therefore, you've got to make sure really what the EOT is all about is getting the most out of the employees. Whereas a management buyout is here's a new boss, same as the old boss kind of thing. Yeah. Whereas an EOT is a different type of structure, and it's really important therefore that you prepare for that. So the EOT wants the the buyout or the payout has ended, where does the ownership lie of the company at that point? So the ownership lies with the trust. It's the trust that owns the shares. The trust will have trustees. Uh, usually the trustees will have employees in, amongst them, uh, yeah. hopefully a director as well, and maybe an independent trustee. Um, one of the things that we do is we help companies to replace independent trustees with, with companies. Um, and so what happens is the profit goes to the EOT because it owns the shares. <laughs> yep. That's used to pay off the repayment schedule of the previous owner. And any profit above that is then used to share with the employees. Once the owner is fully paid out, all of that profit is then used to share with the employees. So what it gives is a way for the employees, the management team, whoever, to get the profit of the business without owning the shares. And wow, so okay. that means that they don't have to take the risk of being uh, a share owner, uh, especially buying the shares and putting a house up for security, all that kind of stuff. And yet you still get access to the profit. And for me, that's one of the really positive things about it. It sounds very innovative. And I would guess, and correct me if I'm wrong, but not many people will have come across that. If anybody's uh, heard of how John Lewis is owned, that's the shortcut to it. Okay, yeah. Because yeah. John, this is exactly how John Lewis is owned. Um, it's only been around since 2014. When I did it, there was, I think, 240 
in the UK. That was all. Um, oh. Now that's nearer five, five, nearly 600, I believe. So it's really starting to take off. Um, I've got about 105 companies on my database who are actively thinking about it at the moment. It's incredible. So uh, there's a wave of companies coming through who are doing it. Um, so it's going to become more and more and more common. So you mentioned Imagine. demographic there about advisors who have clients. If you've got clients who are business owners, actually, this is a really important subject area that they should get um, knowledgeable on so that they can advise their clients or at least be conversant with the subject. Yeah, absolutely. I think uh, a lot of clients will have, or sorry, a lot of advisors will have business owners in their in their client bank who are of that age where they're beginning to transition out. And of course, it's an important part of, um, of their legacy planning, of their retirement planning is how they actually exit the business as well. So it's and uh, actually there's a good tip there um, for advisors, because whenever I speak to business owners and I've spoken to literally hundreds upon hundreds of business owners in the last three years about this, um, one of the very, very first questions I ask them is how much do you need to sell your business for? <laughs> and the answer always comes back as it's worth a million pounds or I had it valued at this and etc. Um, and I always say, forgive me, but that wasn't the question. The question is, how much do you need to sell your business for? And it's amazing how many of them said, I don't know. I never worked it out. I would yeah. say seven out of 10 answer in that way. Yeah, and so imagine. I say to them, well, how do you have a financial advisor? And they say, well, I have a guy that looks after my pension fund. And I say, well, have you ever done a cash flow forecast with them? And he says, what's a cash flow forecast? He goes, no, why are you doing it, advisors? <laughs> That's what your job is. So actually, go back to all your business owners and say to them, have you ever thought about what you need to sell your business for? What's the objective of this business? Yeah, very interesting, because people lose sight of that, don't they? They've been in the business for 20, 30, 40 years plus. Okay, maybe not that long. But and they'll lose sight of the actual purpose um, and the reason they're doing it. And, and of course, that's where the right financial planner who's going to look at and join the dots for them and put everything into the into the right plan and the right visuals for them. But people get caught up in the day to day and they forget about they, what that, that is. That is the main issue. You get you get you back to the office, your emails go or whatever it might be. You got a Zoom call to go on. Um, used to be used to say your phone goes but that doesn't happen anymore does it um but yeah you get sucked back into the day-to-day -day of the business one of the things that i found over the years is that when you say to somebody have you got any plans to sell in the business they say yes i plan to sell in five years time and it's always five years time so when you go back a year later and say what's your plan to it's still five years time. <laughs> honestly well, it's so true but if you actually say to somebody how much do you need that stops them in their tracks and makes them work out. Well, actually, any, any decent advisor will know that if you sit down with somebody and talk about that stuff, you have to talk about what life will look like beyond selling the business. And yeah. then you start to give a little light in the future about what something else might be. And you start the process going. And that's the that's a phrase to use to get that process going. And it's really good work for advisors to get involved with. Yeah, absolutely. It's asking the right questions to make them think in the right way or... Yeah, them consider things in the right way. I said to some somebody this question the other day, how much do you need to sell the business for? And he said eight million. Uh, this is non-financial services. And because um, a lot of the clients I work with are not, are not financial advisory firms. And yeah. I, I'm always suspicious. A, when it's a figure way beyond what anybody actually needs. And B, I'm suspicious when it's such a round figure. Yes. So I just pushed a little bit and said, that's an interesting number. Can I ask how you've arrived at that? 
Um, have you had a financial advisor do cash flow forecast? No, hadn't, because his advisor doesn't doesn't talk to him about cash flow. Um, yes. And it turned out, anyway, long story short, that the eight million came about because that's what a friend of his has sold his business for. <laughs> now, imagine that guy could be working for five years longer than he actually yeah. wants to in order to reach a number that he has no idea where it actually came from. Yeah, and no, and no need, no need for it either. No need for it, and, the, and yet his advisor had never had the conversation with him. That's yeah, it's it's quite a quite a I think an obvious thing to ask, but it's something that very much plays into the life and the planning and the finances of that individual. So it ought to be one of the primary things to discuss, the primary things to understand. It ought and, to be. It ought to yeah. be. Yeah. Um, this, I mean, we're, we're, we're in danger of moving over into the financial well-being and the <laughs> initiative of financial well-being stuff that we're doing here. But, but that's what that approach is all about: is what actually is going to make you happy. What does what what is your business giving you in purpose? And actually, this does bring on to a really important point about owners. Um, and this comes back to the to the point about younger advisors with owners that are thinking, why don't they just bugger off? <laughs> Why don't they retire? Why don't they leave? And the reason for that, this is a, this is a bit of insight. Um, there was a best summed up. I'll, I'll just see if I can make up a couple of names. I don't want to use a real name. So there was a firm that I know that's called um, uh, Alex Goldman. Right. I've just literally just made that up. Uh, and there was two, two people who set it up, Mr. Alex and Mr. Goldman. Right. Mr. Yeah. Alex had retired years ago, but Mr. Goldman was still a member, uh, was still a director and chair. Quite a large firm, and the chair, Mr. Goldman, wasn't really helpful. He was he was kind of we'd go into meetings, just turn up unannounced and throw in a few bombs. And, and but he enjoyed himself, but everybody else found him a right pain in the backside. And I remember saying one day to one of the other directors, Why doesn't Mr. Goldman just retire? Because nobody really wants him here. Why doesn't he just, <laughs> you know, move on? And they said, brilliant line. They said, because at the moment he's Mr. Goldman of Alex Goldman Limited. The moment he retires, he's just Mr. Goldman. Mm. And it was such a strong, strong line. I've always remembered it. And it's very true. A lot of owners um, don't have anything else to do. It's part of their, part of who they think, who they are or who it they think they them. are anyway. It defines yeah. them. Absolutely. Yeah. And so that's, again, a really important role for advisors as part of the planning process to help them see things beyond that life. Yeah. never ceases to amaze me how few financial advisors take financial advice. Mm. And the reason for that, the reason why it would be such a good thing is exactly this, because you can't challenge your own assumptions. You need somebody else saying, well, you know, maybe you're 60, 67, whatever. Um, you've got a really good team. You trust them. What about, you know, letting go a little bit? Just, you know. Yeah. yeah, and they'll say, I can't afford it. Well, let's do the cash flow. Oh, look, you can afford it. What yeah. might you do elsewhere? And then you can just start to see other things. To, uh, as, as the phrase that we use, we, we run this online program for businesses to help them become more sustainable. And one of the phrases that we use is that owners need to be pulled, not pushed. Interesting. Really so, important that an owner is pulled away from the business by something exciting rather than yeah. having the other directors with both feet in their back trying to push them out, you know. Yeah. And I guess they can also be part of the trust that owns the business as well. Absolutely. Um, and and in fact, during the period of their earn it, they almost certainly would want to be still involved in some way. Yeah. Uh, so I'm still chair of Ovation, for example. I'm not involved day to day, 
Um, they're doing good. They don't need to be. The employees are doing a cracking job. So it's always slightly embarrassing when you leave the business, you hand over to others and they do a better job than you. <laughs> of course, yeah. I'm delighted because I get my I'm in my earn out period. But there's a little of bit of you go. Oh, God damn yeah. it. <laughs> well, I guess that's that's still part of letting go a little bit, but um, still having that input. And you still get to have that maybe not the day to day input, but you get to have that interest. You get to see it through. You get to still be involved with something that you created and just if you need to, you can steer it in the right way. Indeed. Indeed. And and, um, and, and the steering is very light touch um, yeah. unless things start to go wrong, in which case I do have certain rights to get step back in and get more involved. But I haven't needed to because they're doing such a great job. So, yeah, it really has been a, a fantastic way of exiting. But and I cannot stress this enough. It takes preparation. Well, that, that was going to be my next question, because I think when we initially spoke, uh, you mentioned quite a long period of time preparing for the sale and the, the um, this type of buyout. So do you want to tell us a little bit about, and you also mentioned that you, you work with your clients to prepare them and get them ready, and it takes quite a long time. So do you want to tell us a little bit about what, what's needed to be done? Okay. So... Um... It takes a long time because life in employee ownership, uh, business, in employee owned business is not the same as life in a privately owned business. I mentioned before the importance of this employee voice um, and employees being able to step up. Um, very often that's a phrase I hear from owners. Um, and actually it's as much about the owners as it is about the employees. Yeah. So this phrase, my employees just aren't stepping up. Very often it's because the owners haven't vacated the space for the employees to step up onto. So the things that we work on with businesses to create, we call them eternal businesses, let's be honest, doesn't need to be eternal. It really just needs to be long enough to pay the owner out. Um, owner, eternal would be nice. That, 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 <laughs> is, that is the ultimate objective. Um, so we work on things like the, um, the, what we call the flag, the, the purpose of the business, um, the reason that the business exists, the reason why somebody comes to work there as opposed to somewhere else. And it's yeah. really, really important to inspire employees with the vision, with the flag of the business, so that then they will be um, truly inspired when it becomes their business. Of course. Um, we've then got uh, what we call uh, collaborative decision making. So some way or another, you want the employees to have a voice, to be able to feel that they have a say in the running of the business. But you don't want death by committee. Of course. Um, employees don't have a vote, but they do need a voice, which is why we very carefully use that phrase, the voice. Um, you've then got employee engagement. So you want employees who are skipping into work in the morning, absolutely thrilled to pieces and delighted to be there, not yeah. trudging in on a Monday morning thinking, go, God, here we go again, you know. Um, and that's a little bit uh, chicken and egg, because if you get that, the employee ownership will work. But if you get the employee ownership structure right, that will begin to happen. So um, and then the final thing is the governance structures, because you have this new body, the trustees who are there to hold the board to account, but also to be the voice of the employees uh, to represent the employees. So that creates a whole new dynamic. One of the things I hear more, more one of the comments I hear more than any other is owners that say, great, I've heard all of that. But actually, do you know what? We've already got that in place. I yeah. could not be in the office for two weeks and nobody would ever know. I've got empowered employees. Things are great. And with the greatest respect, they're wrong. <laughs> because they don't really know, A, what the business is really like um, without them. Uh, 
one of the one of my favorite statistics I quote all the time is um, that 95% of people consider themselves to be above average drivers. Right. And in a similar vein, 95% of business owners think their businesses don't really need them and are fantastic. Yeah. Um, the reality when I go and talk to the employees is usually very, very different. Right. But the other reason that that, that is a, um, uh, an inaccurate statement is because of this new type of governance structure with the trustees in place, I mean, the employee ownership mean, needs even more change than even the most empowered business is ready for. So it still needs work. Yeah. How long will that work take? Well, ideally, I would say a couple of years. In, a, in an ideal world, if you've really got the time to prepare and you're thinking you'd like to send them a couple of years' time, now is the time to be starting this stuff. Um, can it be done quicker? Yeah, you can get to get to sale to an EOT in, say, six months. I really wouldn't do it any quicker than that. Um, if you do it in six months, recognise you've still got plenty of work post-sale to work on this cultural transition piece that I'm talking about. Um, but ideally, the perfect scenario is for a business with, let's say, 10 employees or more to have two years or so for the owners to start work. OK. And, and you work with your clients to coach them through that period to do that, because I can imagine, is, is it the book, The E-Myth? Is that the book I'm thinking of where it talks about people who think they're business owners or entrepreneurs, but they're working on the function of the business all day, every day? they don't actually have chance to work on the business. It's more working in the business. And that is a challenge for, I would imagine, every single business owner out there. So without having that guidance and that coaching to actually pull them, as you say, in the right direction or can prepare to be operating without them, then it gets them in the right place where they can start looking at it, getting an EOT in place for the transition for their business business exit. Yeah, absolutely. I, I, I use the phrase with, with the employees of Ovation that I wasn't going to sign the paperwork to sell until they were already running the business without me. Right. Um, another phrase that we use in, in, uh, in the eternal business, that the book that I wrote about this, is that you you're, the objective of every business owner should make yourself the least important person in the business. Like because until one. you're the least important person in the business, you can't leave it. Yeah. And with financial advice practices in particular, there's a, an awful lot of older owners who have still got all the clients, still big fee generator. Um, they don't have my managing director, very often don't have a practice manager. Quite a lot I come across don't even have a board. Um, yeah. Or if they do have a board, it's a board made up of just the advisors and fee earners. Um, these are all a long, long way, I would suggest, from being a business that runs independently of its owners. Um, and until that happens, as I say, you can't sell, or at least you won't feel comfortable to sell, uh, whether it's to an EOT or anything else. Presumably, that model of business is perhaps less attractive to buyers, whether it's an EOT or whether it's a management buyout. It's going to be less attractive for any, any buyer because the relationship is in almost all circumstances with the person who's leaving the business. So you don't know if you're going to be able to keep the clients. Yeah, I'd say that's true. Uh, although um, if the trade sale, that won't matter too much because mm. uh, the owner can hang around for a year or two and just kind of see them off for a little bit. Um, and they might care a little less. And also the purchase price will be dependent on how many of those clients stay. Right. So um, it will be in the owner's interest. Um, I would just want to just make one comment, actually. It's like changing the subject, but it's a really, really, it's probably... The biggest issue I, I come across stopping what I would call uh, happy exits 
Um, Because there is a bit of a myth around what IFA businesses are worth. And that myth is deliberately perpetuated by certain of the consolidators. It's called a fish and chip deal. It's it's actually got a, a phrase within the corporate finance world called a fish and chip deal. What happens is you send out a big inflated valuation. Mm-hmm. Maybe you make an offer and the owner goes, well, that's the number I was looking for. That suits me. Mentally, emotionally, they go in their head. Right. Oh, that's it. I'll take that offer. Maybe that's they what I'm it. getting. And I'm yep, that's what I'm getting. Maybe they'll tell the family, might even tell the employees. And then that number gets chipped away by various different ways, such as due diligence. Uh, could be that you've got some DB transfers on your book. It could be all sorts of reasons. Um, uh, or it could be, as I have definitely come across this, more nefarious activities during the earnout period where they just don't pay. Um, and I have come across one or two instances of that as well. And now, so the message from this is that do not think your business has a certain value because you've read about it in a paper or because a guy down the road says he sold for that amount. Yeah. An offer is not a value. Okay. The value is the amount of money they have in their bank account at the end of the earnout period. That's the only number that matters. So if somebody's got an offer from a consolidator or a third party and you want to make sure that it's it's pucker, it's bona fide, ask yeah. to speak to three people who sold their businesses at least three years ago. Okay. Because that's what I was going to ask. What, what's the best way then to try find out find what they've out done to me. others? Find yeah. out what they've done to others. So ask to speak to owners who sold their businesses to that firm at least three years ago. And then you'll find out a bit more about the reality of what the earnout was like for them. Yeah. Interesting. That's a, that's a very sensible way of doing it because as you say, you're, you're being told certain things, but you don't have anything to, to measure that against or to compare it against or, or to validate it with. And just remember an offer is not a valuation. I like that. Very wise words. Fantastic. Okay, so moving away slightly from from that, Chris, we're seeing a lot of consolidation in the market. Uh, There's a lot of exits. We know there's a number of factors that contributes to that, whether it's regulation, PI insurance, uh, even aging advisors. What do you think will attract people to using this type of exit? And what do you think would turn them off from using this type of exit? Well, I guess let's let, let me rephrase because we've talked about a lot of the attractions. What do you think they need to look out for if they were to consider this type of exit? I would say the main thing is if you don't have that time to prepare. Right. Um, it doesn't mean to say it still takes it off the table because you can prepare afterwards. If you see what I mean, you can do the sale and then work upon the, on the cultural transition that is so important. Um, you may also have uh, a business where the main fear is our advisors who want to take over the business, in which case they might leave if it's sold to an EOT. Uh, that's going to make it quite difficult. Um, so yeah. it's, it's not right for everybody. Uh, mm-hmm. It's right for more people than realise. So, for example, there are some people who um, I've certainly come across a situation where people want to buy the business but don't actually have any money to do so. And they don't yeah. realize they're going to have to put the house of security when they find that out that everything changes, you know. So um, and there's also some of the um, business brokers and business uh, corporate finance. I have also come across some some things being said about the EOT, which aren't true. So there's a suggestion that you can get more money from a trade sale than an EOT. That's simply not the case. 
um, other than maybe an exceptional situation, but IFA businesses are pretty predictable. Um, yeah. And they're relying upon that, that fish and chip kind of principle when they're saying that. Um, another thing to look out for is uh, a business broker. Um, people wanted to charge fees for not actually doing anything. So I came across a business broker recently who was quoting a £49,000 fee to a firm when they literally had nothing to do whatsoever other than introduce them to a corporate finance company who were then charging some fees. So um, yeah. don't sign up to anything. Take your time. Um, make sure it's right for you. Look, I, I, I will talk to anybody. I've had so many hundreds of telephone calls with owners. And mm-hmm. if I don't think it's right for them, I'll tell them. Yeah. I'm not interested in the, I'm not interested in setting up EOTs that they don't work. Of course. That's because of good. course the other the other methods also have their benefits and they have their yeah. um, their place in, in there'll be plenty of people who are selling to consolidators for very good reasons and they And are very happy they, that they did yeah, so. Very happy and their clients are very happy as well. So it's as you say, without being too cheesy referring it back to advice, but it's it's personalized to the individual who's selling the business and what they want to get out of it and what uh what they are able to put into the sale of the business as well so it's it's considering all of those things but i think what what is interesting is people being able to have all the options to have all of the understanding of what is available to them as an exit exactly exactly and so take your time over that do your research speak to different people speak to people that have done it themselves uh, one of the things that I always find absolutely amazing is how little time people take on their own exit of their business. It's the biggest transaction you will ever do. Um, yeah. But I see lots of examples. I've seen this very often where an owner gets a big check dangled in front of them from a consolidator and they just grab at it with both hands without looking at alternatives, options and how realistic that check actually is. So mm-hmm. just do your research, take your time, find the right exit for you. And I'm very happy to help people with that. Fantastic. And what I'll, what I'll make sure we do is, if you're happy to, put your contact details in the show notes of the podcast. Of um, course. So that way, if people want to get in touch with you, they can. If they want to find out more about what you do across your many different areas that you work in, but specifically about what we've been talking about today. So I know that uh, you have quite a number of clients in that coaching them how to exit the business. And of course, you've written the, the book about it as well, which is certainly on my list to read. So if people want to read that, so do you want to tell them what, what the, the name of the book is and where they can find it? Yeah, so I've written a few books. There's The Eternal Business, which is all about this. There's The Financial Wellbeing Book, and you kind of mentioned the podcast earlier on. Uh, and I'm going to be slightly cheeky and also mention that I've written three novels as well. Um, the third of which, The Vanishing Point, came out earlier this year and has gone down really, really well. So all of yeah, those fantastic. are available on, on Amazon if you want to give Jeff Bezos a few extra pennies. <laughs> no, absolutely. I was um, missed out about the author of the fiction. Books, That's all right. But not through any. Uh, through any... <laughs> People do. Don't yeah. worry. <laughs> now, well, I should put them on my list as well, Chris. So, uh, Bless you. And hopefully those of our listeners who are interested in fiction will, will take a look as well. But I really appreciate you joining me today. It's been, I think, really, really interesting. There's a lot there that I wasn't aware of. And I'm sure there'll be a lot about EOTs that a lot of advisors aren't aware of either. And it's worth them having a look into in a bit more detail, understanding when they want to sell and how they want to sell and what they want to get out of a sale, more importantly. So that's a really interesting method and should be something that will be a very good listen for a lot of people. And hopefully some people get in touch with you to find out a bit more. Great. Thanks, Andrew. Thanks, Chris. Appreciate your time. And as I've said, I'll put the ways that you can contact Chris in the show notes. So if you'd like to hear a bit more, please do get in touch with him. Thank you for listening. 
If you've enjoyed today's podcast, please do share with your colleagues and rate and review the podcast wherever you're listening. If you have any feedback or any suggestions of what you'd like to hear on future episodes, please do get in touch with me on the email address in the show notes.